0: You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com
1: Welcome, my friends. Welcome to another edition of The Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of western Japan on this 30th day of January, 2011. I'd like to welcome all of the listeners back to The Corbett Report and invite all of you, as always, to, to check into my website, CorbettReport.com, where you can find previous episodes of this podcast, as well as articles, interviews, and videos created and conducted by myself, and links to websites that support, maintain, broadcast, syndicate, or otherwise give help to The Corbett Report. Now, we have a lot of information to get through in today's episode, so I'll keep the housekeeping remarks brief, but I just want to draw listeners' attention to the newly released YouTube video that I have about Welcome to the New CorbettReport.com, in which I show and demonstrate exactly how to use the newly redesigned CorbettReport.com website, so for anyone who is having difficulties locating or navigating things on the website, please go there, and it shows you step-by-step how to use the new website And I would also like to stress once again that everyone should be subscribing to either the RSS feeds or the email list. And there is a step-by-step uh, demonstration of how to do that in the new video. So if you're having problems with that, please go to that and, and take a look. The email subscription is quite powerful. Every single day that there is an update to corporatereport.com, you will get an e- email with hyperlinks to the update, and it will have the uh, even the media directly embedded in the email itself. So that's a very powerful feature. And, of course, there is the general RSS feed on the lower right of the top banner of every page of CorbettReport.com. If you click on that, your web browser should direct you to a page where you'll be able to subscribe through iTunes or your podcatcher of choice to get all of the latest media direct- downloaded directly to your podcatcher. So that is another very handy feature to have. And on one final note, um, people might notice that, uh, who are subscribed to my Corbett Report video RSS feed, you might notice that that feed is now being updated, and I am going to be working backwards. So I have the last few uh, YouTube videos, videos that have been released through YouTube and Blip.tv, are on that feed. So you will get Sunday Update and New World next week, and that will be continued to be updated uh, every time there is a new video, so you can get that directly to your iTunes or your iPhone or whatever it is you use and um you can get that d- downloaded directly by subscribing to the RSS video feed. And I will be working backwards, putting up a few videos a day, and working my way back through the backlog of 300-plus videos that we've released so far. So that's going to take uh, probably months to get completed, but at any rate, I will be working on it behind the scenes, and I trust you'll bear with me for that. But once again, please stay subscribed in order to stay up to date with all the latest breaking news, information, articles, videos, and interviews. And I'm afraid I've actually jammed so much information into today's episode that unfortunately there's no time to play today's Sunday update. So you can go to corbettreport.com or youtube.com slash corbettreport or the newly minted sundayupdate.blip.tv to go and watch this uh, week's Sunday update, which I highly suggest you do because it's about the Egyptian riots and the internet kill switch and other very interesting information. But right now, let's get straight into today's episode.
2: This is Weekend Edition from NPR News. I'm Scott Simon. Rahm Emanuel's name is back on the ballot, this time for good. The Illinois Supreme Court on Thursday unanimously overturned an appellate court ruling that Mr. Emanuel did not meet Chicago's residency requirements to run for mayor because he'd lived in Washington, D.C., while serving as President Obama's
1: chief of staff and hadn't returned to reside in Chicago long enough before he started to run. And with that ruling earlier this week by the Illinois State Supreme Court, a collective chill went down the spine of every Chicagoan, every American, and indeed every citizen of the world who is connected into the real political power structure and recognizes what it means when a political candidate seems chosen by the higher-ups and all political roadblocks in his way are removed. But for those of you who may not be aware of why the proposition of having Rahm Emanuel as the mayor of Chicago is a spine-chilling idea, welcome to episode 172 of the Corbett Report podcast, Meet Rahm Emanuel. And as always, let's start today with the official version of the Emanuel family story, as told to Bilderberger Charlie Rose by Dr. Zeke Emanuel, Rahm's
0: older brother. Before we get to health care, tell me about this family and tell me why you have these three brothers and a sister and you all seem to be uh, outgoing, successful, achievement-oriented, and interesting people. Well, first, our father came
3: to Chicago uh, because he was doing his internship in residency in medicine. He was born in Israel, studied in Europe, and then came to the United States. And our mother was, came the natural way. She was born in Chicago from parents who had immigrated. Actually, our grandfather came uh, without papers in the United States. And they met, uh, went back to Israel, had one baby, and then came back to Chicago, uh, and our father uh, set up as practice. I think the most important thing for our success, if you ask me, is their willingness to let us explore. um, They're fostering uh, very close relationships among the three of us and uh, willing to also help us every time we
2: failed and
1: know that we could succeed. Oh, I see. So they're going for that whole immigrant to America makes good on the American dream, pulls himself up by his bootstraps, and manages to raise a family that becomes wealthy, powerful, and successful, all just by a string of coincidences, good luck, and hard work. Well... Yes, I guess that's the dominant narrative of the Emanuel family, and certainly no one can argue that the Emanuel family has enjoyed stunning successes in their time in America, with Rahm, of course, being Obama's ex-chief of staff and President Clinton's ex-chief of staff, as well as having been vital in Washington circles for decades now. His older brother, Ezekiel Emanuel, is a well-respected doctor and a member of the National Institute of Health. And his younger brother, Ari, Ari Emanuel, is better known as Ari Gold, or that is the way that he has been fictionalized and portrayed in the popular series Entourage, based on Ari Emanuel, who is a Hollywood agent, a high-powered agent who is an agent for such people as, well, Michael Moore. So definitely an overachieving family. But perhaps there were some parts of the Emanuel story that Zeke was leaving out of his conversation with Bilderberg Charlie Rose. Like, say, the niggly little detail that Benjamin Emanuel, the family patriarch, just happened to be a member of the Irgun terrorists who managed to create the state of Israel by engaging in a wave of deadly, brutal terrorist violence.
0: Jerusalem. July twenty-second, 1946. Britain's high command controls Palestine from the top floor of the exclusive King David Hotel. It is just before noon. Lunch is being prepared in the basement kitchen. Disguised as Arab porters, four Irgun members struggle to wheel in a delivery of seven heavy milk containers. No one suspects anything unusual. This happens at the same time every day. Only this special delivery contains 350 kilograms of explosives. The Irgun issues a warning to the hotel's inhabitants, giving them exactly 22 minutes to evacuate. In just a few seconds, a wing of the King David comes crashing down. The explosion strikes indiscriminately. Ninety-one die. British soldiers, Arabs, and Jewish bystanders. Forty-five others are injured. The campaign of terror has reached a new level. It is one of the world's most lethal terrorist incidents in the 20th century.
1: From Time.com, Thursday, November 13th, 2008, Rahm Emanuel's father problem. Quote, Rahm Emanuel is his own man, with an identity distinct from his father's. He is not responsible for the actions or opinions of Benjamin Emanuel, a Chicago pediatrician who worked in the 1940s with Ergun, the militant Zionist group that committed acts against Palestinian and British targets that have been widely categorized as terrorism. In 1938, according to the scholar Avi Schleim, members of the group attempted to ambush an Arab bus, an attack that failed when a grenade did not detonate. In 1946, members of the group bombed the King David Hotel in Jerusalem, killing 91 people. But that does not mean that Rahm Emanuel, or Barack Obama for that matter, can easily ignore the fact that Benjamin Emanuel recently said a nasty thing about Arabs in the Israeli press. This is from the Jerusalem Post's account of an interview Benjamin gave after news of his son's appointment to the Obama administration was announced. In an interview with Ma'ariv, Emanuel's father... Dr. Benjamin Emanuel said he was convinced that his son's appointment would be good for Israel. Obviously he will influence the president to be pro-Israel, he was quoted as saying. Why wouldn't he be? What is he, an Arab? He's not going to clean the floors of the White House. End quote. Now, whatever one may think about Time.com's reprehensible attempt to whitewash the atrocities committed by the Irgun or downplay the significance of those atrocities in the foundation of the state of Israel, well, certainly we must agree that we cannot blame Rahm Emanuel for the sins of the father and we cannot expect that his sons would be responsible for those crimes. So the question is, does the apple fall far from the tree? Well, here's a characterization of Dr. Ezekiel Emanuel from Anton Chaitkin, editor of the Executive Intelligence Review, who confronted Dr. Emanuel at a meeting of the Federal Coordinating Council on Comparative Effectiveness Research in June of 2009.
4: Dr. Ezekiel Emanuel and other avowed cost cutters on this panel also lead a propaganda movement for euthanasia headquartered at the Hastings Center, of which Dr. Emanuel is a fellow. They shape public opinion and the medical profession to accept a death culture such as the Washington State Law passed in November to let physicians help kill patients whose medical care is now rapidly being withdrawn in the universal health disaster. Dr. Emanuel's movement for bioethics and euthanasia and this council's purpose directly continue the eugenics movement that organized Hitler's killing of patients and then other costly and supposedly unworthy people. Dr. Emanuel wrote last October 12th that a crisis, war and financial collapse would get the frightened public to accept the program. Hitler told Dr. Brandt in 1935 that the euthanasia program would have to wait until the war began to get the public to go along. Dr. Emanuel wrote last year that the Hippocratic oath should be junked. Doctors should no longer just serve the needs of the patient. Uh, Hoche and Binding, the German eugenicists, exactly said the same thing to start the killing. You on the council are drawing up the procedures the, to, uh, list to be used to deny care, which will kill millions if it goes ahead in the present world crash. You think, perhaps, the backing of powerful men, financiers, will shield you from accountability. But you are now in the spotlight. Disband this council and reverse the whole course of this Nazi revival
1: now. And here is Ari Emanuel, portrayed as Ari Gold, on the hit TV series Entourage, followed by a clip of Jeremy Piven, the actor who plays Ari Gold, commenting on what Ari Emanuel thinks of the Ari Gold character.
3: I have work to do. I have hundreds of clients to deal with. And just so we're clear, I don't care about any of them. They're all just a number, like wife number one and therapist number seven. Good day.
1: What does the real Ari say
4: about, I mean, I guess when the first season started, he must have had something to say about how you were playing his character. Was he shocked or surprised or annoyed?
3: I think, and I could be wrong, you tell me, but I think he's very... Shockingly, I I think he's flattered. He loves it. I think he (laughs) loves (laughs) it. Uh, Apparently, he is uh, using our quotes (laughs) in his daily life.
1: (laughs) uh, Which is uh,
3: frightening, actually. (laughs) Um, You know, (laughs) I mean... A lot of people, once they get a position of power, they use that to delegate um, you know, uh, responsibilities to other people in terms of confrontation, that they live in fear of confrontation. This guy relishes it. And, uh, and so I guess that's what's maybe kind of interesting and exciting. And he, he kind of is that guy.
1: Okay, so his father was a terrorist and a member of an organization that was in fact responsible for what was at the time the largest and most deadliest ever terrorist attack in the history of the world at the Hotel David in Jerusalem. And, oh, I suppose, yes, his elder brother is into euthanasia and is a eugenics-obsessed Nazi. And, uh, yes, his younger brother is portrayed as a ruthless, psychopathic tyrant. And rather than fighting against that image, Ari Emanuel is only too happy to play into it. But that doesn't mean that Rahm Emanuel is necessarily a psychopathic, maladjusted individual, does it? Well... Actually, it does, and that is uh, amply evidenced by, well, pretty much everything that's ever been written or spoken about Rom Emanuel, and indeed all of the Emanuel brothers, and they're quite notorious, so I invite you to do your own research by simply typing Rom Emanuel into a search engine of choice and taking a look at some of the uh, things that will pop up. For example, I'm sure you'll find romfacts.com, where you can find a number of pieces of memorabilia for sale, from t shirts and hoodies to coffee mugs emblazoned with such phrases as Maulher Amen is an anagram for Rom Emanuel, and other such interesting Rom facts. Or you'll find video tributes to Rom Emanuel that include music about how much he wants to kick everyone's ass, or other such, well, very blatant uh, signs that we are dealing with someone who is notorious for being a hard-headed, ruthless, and, yes, perhaps borderline psychopathic individual. And some of the events that have crafted that image for him are by now well-known, so let's just uh, establish them here and put them on the table. From Newsweek.com, they ran a story in 2008 called Rom Emanuel, the Terminator, question mark, and that contains this: these very famous incidents from Rahm Emanuel's past. Quote, Certainly there is nothing bland about Emanuel, and never has been. Although he once won a summer scholarship with the Joffrey Ballet, he preferred the combat of politics. As a Democratic Party official, he once sent a pollster who was late delivering polling results a dead fish in a box. Old Clinton hands still laugh about the night after Bill Clinton won the 1992 presidential election. In his book, The Thumpin', how Rahm Emanuel and the the Democrats learned to be ruthless and ended the Republican Revolution. Chicago Tribune Deputy Washington Bureau Chief Naftali Ben David writes that, as about a score of them sat around a picnic table, mushily declaring their love for one another, Emanuel picked up a knife and called out the names of different politicians who had effed us. After each name, Emanuel would cry out, Dead Man, and stab the knife into the table. Ben David recounts that Emmanuel, jokingly called Rombo, even by his mother, muscled weaker Democrats out of races in favor of stronger ones and ridiculed the chairman of his own party, quote. Now, as I say, these types of incidents from Rom Emmanuel's checkered past are by now well-known and the stuff of lore, and unfortunately they're all too true, But at any rate, they are well-known, so today let's see if we can delve into some of the lesser-known facts about Rahm Emanuel's life. And one of the things that we'll have to confront squarely is the proposition that Rahm Emanuel, taking a cut out of his father's notebook, is in fact an operative for Israel, and a key member of the Israel lobby in Washington circles. And that's a question that we will have to raise, as Israel is literally Rahm Emanuel's middle name. And Rahm Emanuel was an Israeli citizen until he was 18 years of age. And, well, as every patriotic American felt stirred to do back in the 1991 Gulf War, Rahm Emanuel decided to run to Israel to join the Israel Defense Force. Reading from a Huffington Post article, Rahm Emanuel Barack Obama's Sarah Palin, question mark? Quote, Known since childhood as a convinced Zionist, Emmanuel and his brothers attended summer camp in Israel. During the 1991 Gulf War, he joined the Israel Defense Forces as a civilian volunteer, akin to a reservist, where he worked in a motor pool repairing trucks. Operating as an adjunct to the Israel lobby as both a fundraiser and a member of Congress, Emmanuel has long served as a loyal cyanim, Hebrew for volunteer, in support of policies pursued by Tel Aviv. End quote.
3: One of the things that you just did was take... Uh, sort of symbolically escort Barack Obama to APEC. He himself confronted the challenge there right out front. He said, You know, you've seen these emails, these scurrilous rumors. That's not the Barack Obama that I recognize. He confronted it head on.
2: Yeah.
3: You have a long record as a strong friend of Israel. You were in the Israeli army. I mean, you have a lifelong commitment. This comes from your family, from your background. You were a religious person. What was the reaction there to him? How hard a
0: bridge is this to cross?
3: Well, first of all, the reaction was uh, great there, uh, both uh, in the audience. But it was also—you got to go back through the history. I mean, it was very strong when he ran for the United States Senate, and it's strong also in his record. And I said, uh, Senator Durbin and I spoke to the executive uh, board with uh, Senator Obama, and I said, then what is it? You know, what is a friend? A friend whose uh, loyalty is implicitly tr- uh, known—you don't have to ask about it. And also, a friend is somebody who will tell you the truth, and that is exactly uh, what Israel wants in the Oval Office: is a friend, and they're going to have that in Barack Obama.
1: Okay, Rahm Emanuel, toady for Israel in the White House. Okay, well, check mark on that one. Well, let's move right along then. So, after he served in the Israel Defense Force in '91. What did he do after that? Well, he became heavily involved in Washington political circles and helped bring Bill Clinton to power as president and was rewarded for that by a number of appointments in the Clinton administration, including eventually White House Chief of Staff. And after having left that position in 2000, Bill Clinton helped him to land a job at Freddie Mac, the federal mortgage firm that, before the housing collapse of 2006 and the attendant. Uh, economic Armageddon that has taken place since then, well, uh, there was already accounting scandals going on at Freddie Mac during the exact time when Rahm Emanuel was sitting on the Freddie Mac executive board. Very interesting. Well, let's take a look at some more information about that. abcnews.go.com, November 7, 2008. Emanuel was director of Freddie Mac during scandal. President-elect Barack Obama's newly appointed chief of staff, Rahm Emanuel, served on the board of directors of the federal mortgage firm Freddie Mac at a time when scandal was brewing at the troubled agency, and the board failed to spot red flags, according to government reports reviewed by ABCnews.com. According to a complaint filed later, later filed by the Securities and Exchange Commission, Freddie Mac, known formerly as the Federal Home Loan Mortgage Corporation, misreported profits by billions of dollars in order to deceive investors between the years 2000 and 2002. Emanuel was not named in the SEC complaint, but the entire board was later accused by the Office of Federal Housing Enterprise Oversight of having failed in its duty to follow up on matters brought to its attention. In a statement to abcnews.com, a spokesperson said "Emmanuel served on the board for 13 months, a relatively short period of time. The spokesperson said that while on the board, Emanuel believed that Freddie Mac needed to address concerns raised by congressional critics. End quote. Well, there you go. There's a little report on the very things that were happening just as, uh, as Rahm Emanuel was sitting on the board of Freddie Mac, and uh, it also leaves the spokesperson to to spread some half-truths and mistruths about Rahm Emanuel's role in all of that. Well, let's uh, seek some more clarification on that point, and we'll switch over to the uh, blogs section of ChicagoTribune.com for an article from January 10th, 2011, from the archives, Rahm Emanuel, Freddie Mac, and the Big Bucks Years. Quote, Before its portfolio of bad loans helped trigger the current housing crisis, mortgage giant Freddie Mac was the focus of a major accounting scandal that led to a management shakeup, huge fines, and scalding condemnation of passive directors by a top federal regulator. One of those allegedly asleep-at-the-switch board members was Chicago's Rahm Emanuel, now Chief of Staff to President Barack Obama, who made at least $320,000 for a 14-month stint at Freddie Mac that required little effort. What is less known, however, is how little he apparently did for his money and how he benefited from the kind of cozy ties between Washington and Wall Street that have fueled the nation's current economic mess. The board met no more than six times a year. Unlike most fellow directors, Emanuel was not assigned to any of the board's working committees, according to company proxy statements. Immediately upon joining the board, Emanuel and other new directors qualified for $380,000 in stock and options plus a $20,000 annual fee, records indicate. On Emmanuel's watch, the board was told by executives of a plan to use accounting tricks to mislead shareholders about outsized profits the government-chartered firm was then reaping from risky investments. The goal was to push earnings onto the books in future years, ensuring that Freddie Mac would appear profitable on paper for years to come and helping maximize annual bonuses for company brass. End quote. Well, I'll leave it to you to go look more into the Freddie Mac scandal and Rahm Emanuel's role within it. But suffice it to say, he was leading a relatively cushy life in the fourteen months between the time that he finished in the white House the Clinton White House and the time that he took up his own political career as a congressman in illinois, and that's where we'll pick up the real i suppose meat and potatoes of this episode because. We can talk all we want about Emanuel's family relations or his supposed uh, ties to foreign nations, or we can talk, to, talk about various things, uh, shady business dealings in his past. But the point for someone so heavily involved in Washington political circles and someone who is now threatening to become mayor of Chicago is, well, what does he advocate? And do the policies that he advocate indicate a step in the wrong direction, that is a step towards tyranny and away from liberty? Well, let's turn to a speech that he gave at the Brady Center in 2007 on the prospect of a no-fly, no-buy list.
3: We had an election about change. People are clear about the special interests. They are tired of that gridlock that special interests cause in Washington. And I think the most simple thing we can do, and we've got to make this a number one issue, as a test vote and then take it into the election. That is, if you are on the no-fly list, Because you are known as maybe a possible terrorist, you cannot buy a handgun in America.
1: It is generally at this point that I would describe and explain the significance of the preceding clip, but I can't really bring myself to do that because I figure that if you at this point don't understand what a complete fraud Not just a fraud, but a complete and open implementation of tyranny the no-fly list itself is. And then to use that as a basis for denying people their Second Amendment rights. If you do not see what is wrong with that, then perhaps you need to go back and listen to previous episodes of this podcast or listen to other alternative media to start getting a handle on what the real political paradigm is. And as a hint, it has nothing to do with colors or the letters D and R and everything to do about steps towards outright tyranny in the face of what should be inalienable human rights. But if you would like to see that clip in particular further explained and fleshed out, then I invite you to stay tuned to my YouTube channel for the release I hope later this week of an edition of my film Literature in the New World Order series that will feature and explain that clip very specifically. But At any rate, let's move along because that is by no means the only draconian, unthinkable measure that Rahm Emanuel was seeking to bring in in his time in Washington and which he will, well, probably have little dispute over in his time in Chicago, which, of course, is already... Uh, well, has been for generations, famously a mobster-connected city, and mobsters don't like their their non-mobster brethren to hold guns and thus pose a challenge to their monopoly of power, so... That's why Chicago is one of those cities where you cannot own a gun, or you have to jump through a million hoops in order to do so, and uh, that's the perfect place for a, uh, a mobster of a different sort, Rahm Emanuel. So that is one thing to watch out for. But there are other things, and let's cl- cut to a clip from that has uh, that has been well circulated, but perhaps people are forgetting about it at this point, and that is the startling unbelievable, incredible proposal that Rahm Emanuel has and which I imagine he garnered from his uh, experience in the Israel Defense Force, to start a universal civil service plan which will draft or recruit or forcibly confine, or however you want to put it, every American citizen sometime between the age of 18 and 21 for three months of mandatory civil service where you will be confined with other mandatorily confined civil service workers in barracks and actually have to devote three months of your life to some sort of civil service. And he is phrasing this and framing it as a positive thing. And again, this has to be heard to be believed. Now you have a book with the ambitious title of The
3: Plan. The word universal comes through a lot. Universal will scare some people. They will think the government program. The idea of universal citizen service, mm-hmm. you have to participate. Citizenship is not an entitlement program. It comes with responsibilities everybody somewhere between the ages of 18-25 will serve three months of basic training and understanding in a kind of civil defense. That universal sense of service somewhere between ages 18-25 will give Americans once again a sense of what they are to be American and their contribution to a country and a common experience. And you look at World War II, now that was a draft, but this is not a draft, it's a universal service. It is not an accident that we started our big march towards civil rights and expanding post-World War II, because the country came through an experience together. So is this compulsory then? Well, you have to, uh, in a sense, it's a required of everybody, 18 to 25, three months. Because I think anytime somebody serves their country in some capacity, we're going to be stronger for it.
4: We've got to have a civilian national security force that's just as powerful, just as strong, just as well funded.
1: Once again, the spine-tinglingly chilling nature of that proposal cannot be easily expressed to people who don't understand the paradigm from which it's coming. And of course it's not my intention to belittle the idea of community service or the idea of giving back to your community or even your country, broadly defined, but the idea of being forced into servitude by your government for three months so they can put you through an indoctrination camp where you live in barracks with other indoctrination victims and likely have your head shaved and all the other cult indoctrination techniques that are used to make pliable people in the military, and I'm sure would be uh, employed on people in this type of universal civil service plan. Well, I I just cannot and do not support anything along those lines, and I think it's quite obvious what that is meant to engender in the public, which is a, a core, a cadre of young people who would be much more susceptible and willing to go along with government tyranny once they've tried on the jackboots for themselves, so to speak. So again, I don't know how to properly articulate how spine-chilling that proposal is, but I think. I can rest easy knowing that I'm sure the majority of my listeners will understand that proposal in all of its ramifications, and it is a good thing that during Rahm Emanuel's time as Obama's advisor, he was not able to get that idea passed, although he obviously did get that idea worked into Obama's own speeches and his own election campaign, so... There is no doubt that uh, Rahm Emanuel was reading from the same script, whether it was one that he wrote himself or had handed to him is of little matter here. But luckily he was not able to bring it about, even though at the beginning of the Obama presidency, just as Bush was handing off the political football so that the team could run it even further down the field, and yes, they are on the same team, if you haven't noticed by now, Well, just as that was happening, of course, there was the great crisis of 2008, the great economic meltdown, which provided the perfect opportunity for the banksters to implement the plan for world government, which they had been hatching for generations, if you'd read the writings of Carol Quigley and others who had been writing about it for decades. So, it was no surprise that when we saw in an interview with the Wall Street Journal near the beginning of Obama's term in office that Rahm Emanuel gave a very interesting and very telling speech in which he perfectly demonstrated his absolute understanding of the principle of problem-reaction-solution.
3: You never want a serious crisis to go to waste. And what I mean by that, it's an opportunity to do things that you think you could not do before. I think America as a whole in 1973 and 1974, not just my view, but obviously the administration, Missed the opportunity to deal with the energy crisis that was before us. For a long time our entire energy policy came down to cheap oil. This is an opportunity what used to be long-term problems, be they in the healthcare area, energy area, education area, fiscal area, tax area, regulatory, reform area. Things that we had postponed for too long that were long-term are now immediate and must be dealt with. this crisis provides the opportunity for us, as I would say, the opportunity to do things that you could not do before.
1: From this crisis, we can seize a great opportunity. Hmm, I wonder where I've heard sentiments like that before. Oh wait, that's the very definition of the problem, reaction, solution, paradigm, which is at the basis of false flag terrorism, for example. That concept that still there are people who can't seem to wrap their heads around. Why would the government attack itself? As if A, the government was a monolithic entity, and as if B, the government was not empowered by attacks against itself. But at any rate, there is Rahm Emanuel explaining it for people, so perhaps the next time someone tries to use that argument on you, you can just pull out Rahm Emanuel's speech and get them to cogitate on the idea that systems actually gain and are strengthened from crisis and turmoil. And if they can create that turmoil in order to get the reaction that they want, in order to provide the solution they already had in their back pockets then so much the better. What did the economic crisis have to do with all of those things that Rahm Emanuel mentioned in that speech? Well, very little, if only tangentially, but at at any rate, it's a great opportunity to bring in all of those parts of the agenda which he had been hatching for years behind the scenes. Well, luckily, as I say, the Obama administration has proven to be a complete failure on almost every front, including the front of moving the political football further down the field. And I think Obama did not run as far down the field as the globalists had hoped he would. So that, I think, is a testament to the work that the alternative media was doing from, well, not only day one, but before day one in exposing the Obama administration for what it really was and not the hope and change which we were sold like so much toothpaste. But at any rate, there you go. There is Rahm Emanuel, undoubtedly an absolute insider, connected to the Israel lobby, working to pass draconian restrictions on Second Amendment rights, working to institute universal civil service plans that are nothing more than government indoctrination camps. But there is always the hope that with someone like this coming into, potentially, a position of great power in Chicago as mayor of that city... Well, there is the hope among many people that, well, maybe he isn't all a complete insider. Maybe he hasn't gone completely over to the dark side. Maybe he's not in the back pocket of the globalists. Maybe, in fact, his tenacity and his well, psychopathic bulldoggedness would actually be an asset in standing up against the banksters, which uh, he has given lip service to on occasion. Maybe there's a real human inside Rahm Emanuel, and maybe he really could be a great political leader. Well, for anyone actually entertaining those thoughts, and I doubt there are many out there who are, but just in case you are, well... Don't worry, just like with every other political candidate who is enjoying remarkable success for seemingly no reason, there is a deep, dark closet in which there are hidden deep, dark skeletons that Rahm Emanuel would prefer not to get to light, and when that is the case, the specter of blackmail is unfortunately a very real one. And what is the blackmail dirt? And what exactly is the blackmail skeleton in Rahm Emanuel's closet? Well, closet may indeed be an apt analogy here, and we'll turn to Wayne Madsen report for more on that, from a report from May 24th of 2010, Obama and Emmanuel members of same gay bathhouse club in Chicago. Quote, President Obama and his chief of staff, Rahm Emanuel, are lifetime members of the same gay bathhouse in uptown Chicago, according to informed sources in Chicago's gay community, as well as veteran political sources in the city. The bathhouse, man's country, caters to older white men and it has been in business for some 30 years and is known as one of uptown Chicago's grand old bathhouses. WMR was told by sources who are familiar with the bathhouse that it provides lifetime memberships to paying customers and that the club's computerized files and pre-computer paper files include membership information for both Obama and Emanuel. However, sources close to Man's Country believe the US Secret Service has purged the computer and filing cabinet files of the membership date data on Obama and Emmanuel. Members of Man's Country are also issued club identification cards. WMR learned that Obama and Emmanuel possessed the ID cards, which were required for entry. End quote. Continuing from later in that same article, Rom the Sugar Daddy. Quote, Obama's chief of staff Emmanuel, who won a scholarship to the Joffrey Ballet but turned it down to attend college, is married and, like Obama, has children, in Emmanuel's case, a son and two daughters. However, Emmanuel, who is 50, also travels frequently with a male companion, a wealthy Chicago real estate developer, some five to six years his senior. WMR has learned from Chicago's gay community as well as political sources that Emanuel and his friend have gone together on a trip to India, skiing vacations, and soon plan a vacation in Florida sans Mrs. Emanuel and the kids. In Chicago's gay community, Emanuel is known as Sugar Daddy, promising young men with perks and lucrative positions if they sleep with him. On occasion, Emanuel has been with older men, such as his travel companion, but his preference is young, according to WMR's sources. Emmanuel also often uses bikes, bicycling, and basketball venues to make his approaches. Being an Emmanuel basketball buddy is a key to professional success. Wmr spoke to one member of the gay community in Chicago who had first-hand knowledge of one of Emmanuel's bed partners, an older man who runs a non-profit symphony organization. End quote. Well, certainly some titillating information there, and as someone who does not care what consenting adults do behind closed doors, I could not care less if Rahm Emanuel was in fact homosexual, except for the fact that, of course, in hiding this and living a lie, he is obviously prone to blackmail, and blackmail is exactly the kind of thing that the glo- globalists and bankster stooges love to have in key political candidates, because it's the kind of thing they can keep nicely locked up way for that date on which they need the key vote or the key policy to come into place and if people don't understand how that system works well then you are living in never Never neverland but at any rate this is a fascinating report but of course it all comes from anonymous sources and who knows maybe Wayne Madsen made this up out of thin air this veteran naval officer and ex-member of the national security agency with sources in Washington and obviously in Chicago well is there anything in the public record that might show a wink and a nod towards Rom's proclivities?
0: Ram Emanuel in the middle is called the cutest.
2: Now, Rom's not even six feet tall. He probably weighs about 150 pounds dripping wet. But in all the ways it matters, he is a very big person for this job. The
3: category tonight This is an interesting one. Top 10 signs that Rahm Emanuel is nuts. Mm. (laughs) Rahm Emanuel is the guy who's running uh, President Obama's White House staff. He's he's his buddy. He's his main man. He's the guy that takes care of everything. He's the brains behind the machine. Category, top 10 signs he's nuts. You know what what this is all about? Oh, what is this? Uh, New York congressman says he was confronted in a gym shower by a naked White House chief of staff, Rahm Emanuel, because he wasn't going to vote for the president's budget. Really? So I, I'm not sure here. I guess I get were, were they both naked? Were one of them just naked? <laughs> anyway, it seemed inappropriate that a guy uh, would be naked, and you know, so. <laughs>
1: Hmm, well, I'll let you come to your own conclusions on that matter and to continue pursuing that particular line of research for yourself, but I think we can all agree at this point that Rahm Emanuel may not be the best idea for a political candidate in Chicago. And yet still, even with all of this taken as background as to who Rahm Emanuel is and why he would not indeed make a good mayor of the Windy City, I think it still needs to be stressed what is really happening here and how Rahm Emanuel overcame the political roadblocks that seemed to be absolutely immovable and unarguable in the fact that he was not a resident of Chicago as the law states he needed to be in order to be a mayoral candidate. That seems pretty open and shut, so for the Supreme Court to overrule the appellate court's decision and to put his name back on the ballot at the very last minute with no other possibility of appeal, well, that seems to me like the same type of thing that we saw with the run-up towards Obama's presidency where this man came from out of nowhere to become a first-term U.S. senator and then president of the United States in a meteoric rise to power that could only have taken place if he was already in the back pocket of the interests that were there to promote his w- and pave his way. So, this leads to the obvious question, what could Rahm Emanuel be being groomed for, and if he did indeed engage in the very simple and very straightforward swap that appears to have taken place with the Chicago Daily political machine swapping out the Daily mayoralty of Chicago for Rahm's position in the chief, as chief of staff, and yes, a Daily, who is the brother of the ex-Chicago mayor, did just take over Rahm Emanuel's old position, and now Rahm Emanuel is going to take over his brother's old position. Hmm, I wonder if a swap was taking place behind the scenes there. Well, what is the point of this and why is why is the mayor of Chicago such an important position? What could be being set up here? Well, in order to get to put some of these pieces together in a way that I think is personally quite spine-chilling and as good a reason as any why everyone who has any say in the matter or any vote in Chicago or knows anyone in Chicago needs to get behind any campaign other than Rahm Emanuel's to make sure that Rahm Emanuel does not achieve power in Chicago... Let's turn to a clip that was recently uh, featured on RestoreTheRepublic at RTR.org, where the reality report with Gary Franchi was talking to Wayne Manson about Rahm Emanuel's mayoral candidacy.
5: Uh, we've talked on the phone several times, and we've discussed our uh, theories or on what could happen to Chicago with Emanuel as the mayor of Chicago. How dangerous could it be for the second city to have Rahm Emanuel as mayor of Chicago. Well, I remember what happened when uh, you had America's mayor Rudy Giuliani, a very corrupt mafiosi type in New York. I mean, we had 9/11 happen. Uh, remember that that incident occurred on election day. Uh and 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 Giuliani actually tried to extend his term as mayor. Uh like he uh, like he's like uh, Silvio Berlusconi in Italy. He tried to, he tried to like just violate the city charter in New York and and, and stay on as mayor. Uh, I mean, this is unprecedented what some of these people will try to do. So now we look at Chicago. Uh, you've got uh, Emmanuel will try to take on that mantle because I think Emmanuel's got bigger ambitions beyond uh, mayor of Chicago. He, I think he's always, uh, since he can't be Speaker of the House, he may be interested in running for President of the United States, just like Giuliani was interested in running for President of the United States. But uh, but what we might see in Chicago is 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 Emmanuel becoming the new America's mayor. And look, they control. You know, he controls. He has access. Look at the brother, uh, the super agent. They have all kinds of ties to the media. They can make that reality happen. All they got to do is uh, snap their fingers. And 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 so you got Rahm Emanuel no longer this tough, um, this thuggish guy. You know, he's America's mayor. And uh I would point out that the the old Sears Tower is now owned by uh Larry Silverstein who also of course had the uh lease on the World Trade Center. So uh, I don't like uh what's coming together uh in this perfect storm uh uh in Chicago. I think there's a lot of things that could happen because you've got the you've got the organized crime element with the casinos, you got Emmanuel, he's dirty. His ties with Israeli intelligence and the Israeli government and the Likud party—they try to always say, "Oh, he's a liberal Israel. You know, he's he's liberal. He doesn't like the Likud. You know, that's that's a that's a shell game. People should ignore." Um, uh, and uh, you got and, and Silverstein owning the old Sears Tower. You put that all together, I think you got a recipe for potential for, for another potential nine eleven in Chicago one that will propel Emanuel to uh, uh, superstar status and possible uh, national uh, political office.
1: Well, listeners to the Corbett Report, I don't think, need to be told about the nexus between Mayor Rudy Giuliani and lucky Larry Silverstein in New York on 9-11, and won't need to be explained exactly how Rahm Emanuel, as mayor of Chicago, and Larry Silverstein, as the new owner of the Sears Tower, is as equally upsetting and worrying Possibility. And again, that is why I think people who are concerned need to start informing themselves about Rahm Emanuel and his background and what interests he is really serving, and then oppose his mayoral candidacy. That's it for this week. I am your host, James Corbett, asking you to join me again next week for another edition of the Corbett Report.
2: Oh, Rahm, oh, Rahm Emanuel. In this election, May or That looms in our fair city here, There are some who wish you would disappear. Bleep them, says Rahm, Emmanuel, Those bleeping bleeps can bleeping go to hell. O run, thy son of Illinois, run. Thou art one of our own Chicago sun. From depths of Washington return to share with us the strategies you learned. Our choice, our choice, Emmanuel. Our parking meters you would never sell. Oh, Ram, oh, you Emmanuel, will you be mayor? Only
0: time will tell. All right, listen to this. This is Elizabeth Bumiller. Ten years ago, together Emmanuel F- Freires are a triumvirate for the 90s. All are rising stars in three of America's most high-profile and combative professions. All understand and enjoy power and know how using it behind the scenes can change the way people think live and die all have been called obnoxious arrogant aggressive passionate and committing committed all three get up before dawn is that those, true
3: those were all our spouses <laughs> <laughs>